You're listening to Shalise's Podcast. All right. Well, Father, I thank you that you are here because you're in us. I thank you that the fullness of the Godhead is here. Holy Spirit, you're here. Jesus, you're here. Why? Because we're here and you dwell in us. We are one with you. I thank you that the kingdom is now that we've been translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of your dear son. And Jesus, wherever we are, that's where heaven is. And I thank you, Father, that heaven, heaven is uh, happy, that heaven is a happy place. Why? Because Jesus won. Jesus has the victory. He wears the victor's crown. And that means we have the victory. We wear the victor's crown. We are one with you, Jesus, and all that you have belongs to us. We are filled with your glory. We are filled with your righteousness. We are filled with all the good things that are you, Jesus. Your, your resurrection is our resurrection. Your righteousness is our righteousness. Your wisdom is our wisdom. Your holiness is our holiness. Everything that you have belongs to us because we are one. The same very spirit that raised up Jesus from the dead is dwelling in us right now and quickening our mortal bodies. And so, Father, we just thank you for the good news of the gospel today, Father. I pray that as this podcast goes out today, Lord, that people will get fired up. That, Father, righteousness will rise up inside of them, Father, and it will absolutely annihilate every accusation. It will annihilate every deception. I thank you, Father, that people are going to be coming out swinging after today's uh, broadcast, Father, reminded of the truth, reminded of what belongs to them, reminded of who they are, that they are innocent, that they've been redeemed, that they are not a victim of the world. They are not a victim of circumstances, Father, but they are overcomers and that they have been born for such a time as this, to transform this planet into heaven, that we are blessed beyond measure, Father, and that we have everything we need to uh, complete the ministry of Jesus. The very same works that Jesus did, we are doing, and we are um, expanding the kingdom on the earth, Father, in union with you. So I bless this podcast today, Father. I declare that it's going to come forth unhindered and unchecked from any outside force, I yield my mind. I yield my body. Our lives are not our own. We've been bought with a price, paid for with the preciousness. And Father, I just declare the advancement of your kingdom is being accomplished today because of this message. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen, 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 amen. Well, I did a little bit of a disclaimer, you guys, before we started today in the description of this podcast. I said it's going to be fire because I'm on fire. And I am on fire. And I'm on fire because of the things that God has been speaking to me specifically about, you know, uh, just the battle, honestly, that, that so many of us have been in, uh, really since December of last year. And I want to bring some context to that. And honestly, it's the same battle we're always in, but I think that I'm going to help you kind of unpack some of the things that maybe you've been experiencing lately and help you rise up in righteousness and really unpack what that means and help you defeat Uh, whatever is accusing you, whatever is trying to stop you, whatever is, whatever it feels like that you are under right now. And we're going to do it with the power of the gospel. Why? Because the, there is a secret power of the gospel that empowers you to overcome anything and everything because you are in Christ and you are an overcomer. So let's kick off today by rereading our scripture from Romans chapter 117. And I'm going to read it out of the mirror translation. Uh, And if you do not have the mirror Bible, I encourage you to download the mirror app onto your Android phone or onto your iPhone, because it is a powerful translation that looks at scripture, not only through um, good translations of Hebrew and Greek words that have been many times been mistranslated in other translations, but it understands the finished work of the gospel. You know, so many of our translations have um, particular doctrinal bents uh, 
as a part of their translation. And I know that that's news to people, but honestly, until you've read multiple translations of scripture and you really understand the finished works of the gospel, it's hard to see how the illusion of separation from God has sometimes even steeped into the translations of our Bibles. And so I love the, the Mirror Bible. I love to read it side by side with a lot of other translations. The Mirror Bible is actually a paraphrase. Um, but it is a wonderful paraphrase that helps you understand the context of scripture, helps you understand the Greek and the Hebrew uh, words that are translated in our scripture. And it, it, it really brings out our union with God and the finished works with Jesus. So that's my mirror Bible commercial for today. Um, which, by the way, I do not get anything from, but I just believe in it, uh, especially when you read it side by side with other translations. So anyway, Romans chapter one, it's in verse 17, and I'm going to read it. It says, herein lies the secret power of the gospel. Okay, herein lies the secret power of the gospel. The name of this series is called The Secret Power of the Gospel. And it's what it says. There is no good news in it, in what? In the gospel until the righteousness of God is revealed. Okay, I want you just to sit with that for a minute. That the good news of the gospel is revealed when the righteousness of God is revealed. Okay, we're going to dive deep into righteousness today and talk about the battle over righteousness. And we're going to talk about why righteousness is the secret power of the gospel. Okay, the power, the gospel has power. It's the power we talked about. It's the power to, of salvation. It's the power of sozo. The Greek word is sozo. And it doesn't just mean it's the power to save you from hell after you die. No, 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 no. That is not the gospel. The gospel is the proclamation that you have been made the righteousness of God in Christ. Meaning that you are now right. There's nothing wrong with you. The very rightness of God, the very correctness of God, the very nature of God has become your nature because of Christ, because of what Jesus has accomplished. And righteousness, you guys, will change your life. It will change your perspective. It will change the way you show up in the world because there is a battle for your rightness. There is a battle for your perfection. And the, the battle is, you know, the battle between the, tree, the, the two trees that's been going on since, you know, time began. It's the battle of, of, of right and wrong. And it's the battle uh, that, that, that plagues our society with human judgment. But before I go too deep into it, let me just keep reading here. It says, there is no good news in it until the righteousness of God is revealed. It says the dynamic of the gospel is the revelation of God's faith as the only valid basis for our belief. Okay. Uh, God's faith, meaning what God believes about you. God's faith in himself and what he accomplished as you on the cross is the basis of our belief. We believe in what Jesus accomplished on the cross for us. We believe the gospel is the proclamation of what God did for you on the cross. And it says that the revelation of what God believes is the valid basis for our belief. So when we, we understand what God believes happened on the cross, when we believe what the gospel proclaims, it, when we believe what God believes about the gospel, guess what? That's the basis of our faith. It says the prophets wrote in advance about the fact that God believes that righteousness reveals the life of our design. Righteousness is, by, it says righteousness by his faith defines life. Now, I'm going to read a little bit more to get my points across. It says this, God is not standing neutral to mankind's indifference. The revelation of God's belief in our redeemed righteousness, the revelation of God's belief in our redeemed righteousness is at the same time an unveiling of God's passionate desire from a heavenly perspective towards humanity who seem to have lost touch with the romance of their devotion by suppressing the truth about themselves. They have forgotten 
the delicate art to adore and be adored while they continue to hold on to an inferior reference of themselves by being out of sync with their true likeness. Okay, so there's a lot here that I could say, and I don't want to get too much into so many different points I could make. What I want to focus in on this is I want to focus in on this. It says the revelation of God's belief in our redeemed righteousness. Okay. God has a belief about you. God has a belief about the gospel. God has a belief about what Jesus came to accomplish. God has a belief about what has already been accomplished on the cross. And God's belief in that, God's belief in your redeemed innocence, God's belief in your redeemed righteousness is the basis for our belief in our redeemed innocence and our belief in our redeemed righteousness. And why is this important? Why, what is it about righteousness that makes the gospel good news? You know, I just came back from a client retreat. We spent a week in Hilton Head last week, and there was a breakthrough with one of our one of our uh, students that was there because their whole life, and like most of us, right, the only definition of righteousness that we have usually been taught is that righteousness means right standing with God. Okay, and I'm not saying that that is a a wrong necessarily a definition of righteousness because righteousness does include our right standing with God. It means the reconciliation with God, okay? It does mean that, but it's an incomplete definition of what is the, what is the righteousness of God, okay? The righteousness of God is the rightness of God. It is the perfection of God. It is the nature of God that is right, okay? God is always right. <laughs> when you think about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, God is always right good. God is always perfect. God is, uh, is, is absolutely, uh, imperfect. I mean, absolutely has no relationship with imperfection. God is 100% right. 100% perfect. 100% holy. 100% good. 100% loving. 100% kind. 100% gentle. He is the perfect expression of perfect love. He is perfect love that casts out fear. There is no, no uh, darkness in him. There is no, no fear in love. God is right. Okay. And because God is right in his righteousness, he did what was right. And he, he entered into our darkness. He entered through Jesus, entered into our, our, our delusion of unrighteousness and made it right. And he did this on the cross. So righteousness is everything, you guys. Righteousness, it says in Proverbs, that the righteous are bold as a lion. And the battle, you guys, is to believe that we are righteous. The battle is to believe what God says is true about us in the middle of a world that is steeped in accusations against us and focused on what is wrong with us. Okay, I was reading also in Romans chapter eight, and I wanna go over there and read a little bit more about this from the standpoint of understanding our righteousness. So let me go over there and let me start reading in verse four. I'm reading in the mirror translation again. It says the very righteousness promoted by the law is now realized in us. Okay. The righteousness that the law demand demanded, meaning perfection in, in, in rule following. It says it's now realized in us. It goes, our practical day-to-day -day life bears witness to spirit inspiration and not flesh's dominion. Okay, it says sin's symptoms are sponsored by the senses, a mind dominated by the sensual. Thoughts betray source. Spirit life attracts spirit thoughts. Verse six, it says thinking patterns are formed by reference. 
either the sensual appetites of the flesh and spiritual death or the Zoe life and total tranquility flowing from a mind addicted to spirit realities. It says a mind focused on the flesh. And I just want to say unrighteousness and flesh could be, uh, uh, could be, uh, swapped out right here. It says a mind focused on flesh is distracted from God with no inclination to his life laws. Flesh, it says self-righteousness in parentheses and spirit in parentheses. It says faith righteousness are opposing forces. I'm going to say this again. Flesh, which equals self-righteousness and spirit, which equals faith righteousness are opposing forces. And so what I love about what the mirror uh, translation brings out right here, and I think a lot of times is lost in our Bible translations, is that the battle between righteousness and unrighteousness or self-righteousness and God's righteousness are completely different opposes, opposing forces. There are, there are only two kinds of, of righteousness that exist. Self-righteousness, which is unrighteousness, and God's righteousness or Christ's righteousness or righteousness by faith. And so the gospel is the revelation of righteousness. It is the end of unrighteousness and self-righteousness. And I also want to tell you, it's the end of the flesh. It's the end of a, a self-determined identity that is based on something other than our union with God. And these opposing forces of flesh and spirit or self-righteousness and righteousness are always in opposition. And the battle over righteousness by faith is fierce. Why? Because when we are righteous by faith, we are no longer earning anything. We are no longer working for anything. We already are owners. We already have the victory. We already are perfect. We already are righteous. We already have the inheritance that belongs to us in Christ. And we didn't, it's all by gift. It's not based on anything that we've done. It's based on what Jesus has done. And the flesh or self-righteousness is always trying to earn something. It's always trying to become something. It's trying to be righteous or be good based on its own merit, based on its own behavior, based on its own source of itself, meaning a human way, a human designed way of being in right standing with God, yes, but being in right standing with each other, being in right standing with ourselves. And righteousness, when we get it and we stop trying to work for something that we've already got, let me tell you, it will strip the world system. It will strip what the enemy is sitting on and trying to get you to earn and trying to get you to be worthy of. And guess what? You can't be worthy enough for your inheritance in Christ. You can't be good enough apart from Christ to experience the kingdom of God. No, the kingdom of God is a gift. Salvation is a gift. Our inheritance in Christ is a gift and we cannot work for it. We cannot earn it. We have to drop our relationship with rules. We have to drop our relationship with a self-righteous, uh, self-directed life, you guys. And we have to enter into a revelation that we are righteous. We are one with God. There is no condemnation for them that are in Christ. There is no guilty verdict. There is no accusation that can stand in the court of heaven against us. We've been acquitted. And frankly, court has been dismissed. We don't even have a revelation. I mean, a relationship with the rules anymore. 
We are not trying to be good in order to get something from God. We're not trying to be good in order to deserve blessings. We're not trying to please God apart from Christ. It's something that has already been given to us as a gift. And what the Apostle Paul is saying, and so brilliantly communicated here by Francois de Troyes in his mere translation, is that righteousness has power. That righteousness has secret power. You guys, what is the secret power? It's the power to stand against accusations. It's the power to stand against any opinion other than God's opinion about you. And this battle for God's opinion about you is the battle of the ages. Your battle for what you think about your identity. Your, the battle for what you think about yourself. The battle for what, uh, when other people think something about you that is not God's opinion about you. I mean, the accuser of the brethren is alive and well. Okay. I'm not saying that, uh, that, that, uh, uh, we are fighting uh, in, in the sense that the battle hasn't already been won. The battle has been won. The battle for righteousness has been won. Jesus won it once and for all on Calvary. When he was buried, guess what? Unrighteousness was buried with him. The, the you, the unrighteous you was crucified with Christ and buried with Christ. And when you, when Jesus came up out of the grave, guess what? You came out of the grave, a new creation. You came up a righteous son and heir of God. And when Jesus ascended and sat down at the right hand of the father, guess who ascended with him? Jesus's resurrection was your resurrection too. And Jesus's ascension was your ascension too. And now you sit inside of Jesus Christ at the right hand of the father, which is interesting because Jesus and the father are one, but there is a distinction in them. But you sit in Christ at the right hand of God. What does it mean about the right hand of God? It's the place of authority. It's the place of dominion. It's the place of favor. And you have the exact position in Jesus that Jesus has. And it's a finished fact. But here's the deal. When I say the accuser is alive and well, I mean the accuser is doing the job through the world system, through a fallen mindset that is trying to tell you, you are anything but perfect. You are anything but holy. The accusations will come at you from your past. The accusations will come at you from the ways that you have failed and the ways that you have sinned in your uh, performance and the ways that you have fallen short in your own attempt to be good. And guess what? That's not even what the system is based on. The system isn't based on your past. The symptom isn't based on your righteousness or your attempts to be holy or your attempts to be acceptable or worthy. No, but the enemy, the accuser, the adversary is always coming to tell you that you're someone you're not. It's not a new game. It's the same thing that he came in the guise of a snake <laughs> in a subtle little voice that spoke to Eve, right? God is holding back from, from something from you. It's an accusation against God that he's not good, that he doesn't care, right? That he didn't give Adam and Eve himself in the beginning, that they were not made in the image and the likeness of God, right? That they had to do something to be who they already were. Right? They needed to eat of this tree. They needed to know. They needed to judge. They needed to try to be good. They needed to be independent from God and judge good and evil. They needed to be, um, they needed to have, do something and, and have something else besides God's opinion and what God said about them. And that is the same battle that we are in today. It's the same battle that Jesus faced when he went into the wilderness after God declared over him after his baptism, this is my beloved son and who I am well pleased. And let me tell you today, beloved, you are the beloved. You are the beloved son. If you're a woman, you're still a son. Okay. You're the beloved bride. If you're a man, you're still the bride. You are the bride of Christ. You are the body of Christ. You are the righteousness of God. Why? Because God decided. 
God decided to make you righteous by becoming a man and facing the tempter and overcoming the accusations on your behalf and going to the cross and defeating the one that had tempted Adam and Eve in the garden and overcame it. It was the undoing of what Adam did. And he did it without your permission. He did it without your participation. He did it as himself. And he believes what the cross accomplished about you. Now the question is, do you believe it? Is God's opinion about your righteousness, your opinion about your righteousness? Because the accuser is going to test it. The accuser will come just like he did to Jesus and he will say, if you are the righteousness of God, then you should be doing X. If you are the righteousness of God, well, then you shouldn't have done X. If you are the righteousness of God, prove it. Do something to prove that you're the righteousness of God. He will tempt you with the pride of life. He will tempt you with the deceitfulness of riches. If you are the son of God, your life shouldn't look like it is. If you are the son of God, you shouldn't be sick. You deserve that sickness. If you are the son of God, you shouldn't be broke. You shouldn't be unemployed. You shouldn't be going through a divorce. You shouldn't be yelling at your kids. You shouldn't be X, Y, Z. Insert whatever behavior that you think causes you to be unrighteous. And that will be exactly where the battle is for your righteousness. And what I'm telling you today, that that battle is fierce and it will be tested. Why? Because only righteous sons of God can expand the kingdom. And the righteousness of God defeats the accusations of the enemy every single time. And it will strip him of what he's sitting on because he's trying to get us to work for it and earn it. And beloved, we're not going to work for it. We're not going to earn it. We're going to stand up in righteousness and we're going to say it's already mine. It's already finished. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. There is no me apart from Christ. I've been crucified with Christ. It's not even me that lives anymore. The, uh, the I is now Christ. And Christ, the Christ in me uh, is the lawful owner of all things. So let go of my inheritance. Let go of, of my opinion of myself. Favor is where it's at in the kingdom, right? It's not about everybody everybody else's opinion. Why? Because every one of us is operating in some degree, right? Under this false system of the knowledge of good and evil. There is a temptation, you guys, to be self-righteous. There is a temptation for us to identify either in, in, in one sense to be unworthy or in one sense to be prideful in the sense that we sit in judgment of people that we, we other people we say that are unworthy. And that whole system has been abolished. And so the opinion of men has got to be brought under the subjection of the opinion of God, meaning our own opinion of ourselves. We've got to get it right. We need to tell the voice inside of our head that wants to accuse us of being something other than perfect and holy and righteous. Yes, even when we are acting out, even when we've missed it, because it, 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 the moment that you say, well, I don't deserve the righteousness of God because I did X. Well, guess what? You've just fallen in to self-righteousness. You've just fallen into the trap that Adam and Eve fell into. You've just fallen into the trap that Jesus didn't fall into when he went through the wilderness. And what is the wilderness? The wilderness is you and I getting our opinion of ourselves settled. It's believing the gospel. It's the revelation of righteousness. Why? Because it's the secret power. It's what makes the gospel work. It's what makes the gospel good news. It's that we're not earning anything anymore, right? We're entering into what God is doing. We're entering into what God has already done. It's about what God believes. It's about what God is doing. It's not about what we can can fathom up or we can work up or that it's something that we do on our own. No, it's about entering into what God has finished and what God is doing right now. And in order to do that, we have to get all attention off of a self that no longer exists. It's called self-righteousness for a reason. Why? Because a self apart from Christ 
is an independent self. And an independent self is the illusion of the fall. Independence is pride. Independence from God is what the tree of the knowledge of good and evil ultimately promised and ultimately delivered. It is the nature of the Antichrist. It is the nature of Satan, the accuser. It's having a self apart from God, hence the term self-righteousness. Your self was crucified with Christ. There is no longer an independent self. So therefore, there is no longer an independent righteousness. Your righteousness, the very nature of who you are, is determined by God. And God finished it, and we need to finish it now internally. We need to let go and resist the opinions of men, the, the accusations that come against us, that try to get us to, to get into... Uh, an identity that already has been decided. God has decided that you're innocent. God has decided that you're worthy. God has accepted you in the beloved. God has decided that you're not rejected. God's decided that you're not rejectable. God has decided that no matter what you face, it doesn't change who you are. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't change who you are. And this is the good news. It's no longer based on human effort. It's no longer based on anything human at all. It's based on the righteousness of God. And all that God's asking us to do is simply just base our own opinion on what God's opinion is, just to agree with him. Now, I want to read Romans chapter four, and I want to read it out of the message translation. I was reading this whole uh, chapter last night to uh, the emerged folks on our coaching call. And we were talking about this because we were, it was in the context of this, we, you know, one of the things that we do in emerge is we help people learn how to hear God's voice. What I say is on demand. Now people have a lot of, not, not all people, but some people sometimes have a problem with me saying that we should be able to hear God on demand because they're thinking like, oh my goodness, like you shouldn't be demanding anything of God. And I understand where they're coming from, but I also under, you know, I understand that, that thought that God, you know, God is God. We're not God. We shouldn't be demanding something of God. But let me say this, that idea is steeped in unrighteousness. The idea that God is over here. We're over here. We shouldn't be demanding something from God who's over there because we're over here. And who are we? We're not God. We shouldn't be doing that is steeped in unrighteousness. And it's steeped in the illusion of separation from God. Because see, righteousness understands that we're no longer separated from God. And so hearing God on demand just means anytime, anywhere. We should be able to hear God clearly 24-7 because of the righteousness of God, because of our right standing with God, because we're married to Jesus, because the Father is our Abba. And a relationship with anyone should mean that we can have a conversation. Like, how do I, I mean, I can never imagine. Like, it's not a healthy marriage when your husband isn't speaking to you. It's not a healthy child-parent relationship when your parents just ignore you. That's called, you know, child neglect right? It's, 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 that's abusive. And so the idea that I would ask God a question and not get an answer, I mean, I might ask the wrong question. God might say, well, that's not a very good question. But the idea that there would just be silence there, like that is one of the biggest deceptions of unrighteousness. And so we were talking about this last night because one of the things that holds people back from being able to hear God is a sense of unrighteousness. I don't feel worthy or I'm afraid I'm going to get it wrong. Like there's all these things that are all wrapped up in the voice of doubt. It's a voice. They're, they're hearing another voice, the voice of accusations, the voice of doubt. It's not the voice of God. It's, 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 it's definitely not the truth. Right. But we're so accustomed to living under the accuser. We're so accustomed to living with these voices that steep us in self-righteousness that we don't even recognize what it is. And when you are operating in righteousness, you say, oh, no, 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 no. I'm not tolerating this because anytime there is I'm not hearing God clearly or anything tells me that I can't hear God clearly. Wait a second. That is an accusation against the gospel. That's an accusation against what Jesus has accomplished for me. I am in Christ. I have the mind of Christ. I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit. No, I call upon God and he answers me. Why? Because he's my Abba. He, the same relationship that Jesus had with the Father, that's the relationship that I have with the Father because I'm in Jesus. I'm in Christ. 
And Jesus only did what he saw the Father doing. He only spoke what he what he heard the Father speaking. He was living in that oneness relationship with the Father. And that's where I'm designed to live. And so I'm going to resist anything that tells me that I'm not hearing God. I'm not going to believe a lie, like I'm missing something and that I can't hear God. That's steeped in the illusion of unrighteousness, the illusion of separation. So I want to read this to you. It's Romans 4 out of the message translation. And it's a beautiful picture of, of righteousness because Abraham is called the father of faith. And he, he talks about how righteous was imputed to him. Like Abraham was judged righteous before the cross. And so the righteousness of God has always been something God gives and something that God is. It's not, I mean, Abraham was pre-Moses. So this is pre-law. So the righteousness of God has never changed. It's just that we have not, it's not been revealed to us because we've been so busy being self-righteous and being separated from God. And the gospel, thankfully, is the end of all of that. And now we can grasp it and we can get a revelation of it and now we can enjoy it. So let me read this. It says this in verse one. I may read on the message translation because it just reads so beautifully. It says, so how do we fit what we know of Abraham, our first father in the faith, into this new way of looking at things? Okay, now this is in Romans. It's the same chapters that I've been reading out of today. And what Romans is telling us is that there's a new way of looking at things, a, a way of looking at things where it's not up to us. It isn't about what we've done. It's about God. It's about what God has done and what, what he believes about us. Here's what this says. If Abraham, by what he did for God, got God to approve him, he could certainly have taken credit for it. Now, when we take credit for something that we do good, guess what? That's still self-righteousness. It's the elder brother syndrome, right? It's like, I've been with you all of this time. I've always done what you've asked God. I deserve these blessings because I've served you so faithfully, right? Self-righteousness. That was the sin of the Pharisees, right? It was a, a righteousness that was imputed by their own behavior. But here it says this. If Abraham, by what he did for God, got God to approve him, he could certainly have taken credit for it. But the story we're given is a God story, not an Abraham story. What we read in scripture is Abraham entered into what God was doing for him. And that was the turning point. He trusted God to set him right instead of trying to be right on his own. You guys, this worth, it is worth going and reading the entire chapter of Romans chapter four in the message translation, because it is a beautiful picture of how Abraham didn't do anything except enter into what God was doing. And that is all the gospel is as well. It's us entering into what God had done, what God has done. It's us entering into what God did to make us righteous. Okay, let me read that one more time. The story we're given is a God story, not an Abraham story. What we read in scripture is Abraham entered into what God was doing for him, and that was the turning point. He trusted God to set him right instead of trying to be right on his own. Listen to verse four, you guys. If you're a hard worker and do a good job, you deserve your pay, but we don't call that a gift. Okay, if you're a hard worker and you do a good job and you deserve your pay, we don't call those wages a gift. But if you see if the job is too big for you and that it's something only God can do and then you trust him to do it, you could never do it on your own, no matter how hard and long you worked. Well, that trusting him to do it is what gets you right set with God, gets you set right with God. Trusting him to do it is what gets you set right with God, by God. God's the one that even sets you right. And it says, sheer gift. David confirms this way of looking at it, saying the one who trusts in God to do the putting everything right without insisting on having a say in it is one fortunate man. He said, and then he quotes David. Fortunate are those whose crimes are whisked away, whose sins are wiped clean from the slate. Fortunate the person whom the Lord does not keep score. 
Do you think for a minute that this blessing is only pronounced over those who keep our religious ways and are circumcised? Or do you think it could be possible that the blessing could be given to those who never even heard of our ways, who were never brought up in the disciplines of God? We all agree, don't we, that it was by embracing what God did for him that Abraham was declared fit before God. Now think, was that declaration made before or after he was marked by covenant of circus, uh, the rite of circumcision? That's right. The declaration was before he was marked. That means that he underwent circumcision as evidence and confirmation of what God had done long before to bring him into this acceptable standing with himself. An act of God he embraced with his whole life. It says, and it means further, that Abraham is the father of all people who embrace what God does for them while they are still on the outs with God. As yet, unidentified as gods in an uncircumcised condition. It is precisely these people in this condition who are called set right by God and with God. In other words, while we were yet sinners, Christ died and declared us righteous. It wasn't anything that we did that declared us righteous. It's not something that we did even after we heard and accepted Jesus that declared us righteous. God made us righteous before he, we, did, we knew that what he had done. And it was the same with Abraham. His circumcision was simply a confirmation of his declaration of Abraham's righteousness. And all Abraham did was enter into and trust what God had done for him. That was it. That's the gospel. Believing what God has done for you. It says this. I'm going to keep going. Verse 13. That famous promise God gave Abraham that he and his children would possess the earth was not given because of something Abraham did or would do, meaning, listen to this, our inheritance in Christ was not given to us because of something we would do, okay, or something we did. It says this, it was based on God's decision to put everything together for him, which Abraham then entered into when he believed. If those get what God gives them, only get it by doing everything they are told to do and filling out all the right forms properly signed, that eliminates personal trust completely and turns the promise into an ironclad contract. That's not a holy promise. That's a business deal. A contract drawn up by a hard-nosed lawyer with plenty of fine print makes sure that you will, uh, you will never be able to collect. And honestly, you guys, that is a beautiful description of the accuser. The accuser is a hard-nosed lawyer, right, with plenty of fine print that tries to make sure you'll never, ever be able to collect the, your inheritance because he's trying to get you to earn it, okay? It says, but if there is no contract in the first place, simply a promise, and God's promise at that, you can't break it. That is why the fulfillment of God's promise depends entirely upon trusting God in his way and then simply embracing what he has done. God's promise is a pure gift. It's the only way everyone can be sure to get in on it. And those who keep the religious traditions and those who have never heard of them. For Abraham is father of us all. He's not our racial father. That's reading the, the story backward. He's our faith father. We call God, we call Abraham father, not because he got God's attention by living like a saint, but because God made something out of Abraham when he was a nobody. Okay, let me read this again. We call Abraham father because he, not because he got God's attention by living like a saint, but because God made something out of Abraham when he was a nobody. Okay, you can put your name in this. We call Shalice holy. We call Shalice a Christian, not because she got God's attention by living like a saint, but because God made something out of Shalice. What? She made him right. She made her, he made her righteous. He made her holy. He made her a joint heir with Jesus. He gave her the entire kingdom when she was a nobody, when she was still steeped in sin. Okay. It says, isn't that what we always read in scripture? God saying to Abraham, I set you up as a father of many peoples. Abraham first was named a father, then became a father because he dared to trust God to do what only God could do. Raise the dead to life with a word, make something out of nothing. It says when everything was hopeless, Abraham believed anyway, deciding to live not based, not on the basis of what he saw he couldn't do, but on what, but on what God said he would do. 
Okay, so, so what we're doing here, guys, as I'm reading this, is I'm trying to uproot this idea that your worthiness is a part of the equation apart from Christ. Like when it comes to hearing God, righteousness is what is part of us hearing God. It's believing the gospel. It's believing that we've already got it, that we can hear God because we're right with God. We can hear God because we're perfect. We're holy from God's perspective. His opinion of us is settled. In fact, in Christ, we have become a part of the Godhead. We are in the fellowship of the Trinity. And how do they relate to one another? In perfect union, in perfect oneness. So of course, you think their their communion is broken? No, their communion is seamless. Their communion and their, what do I mean by communion? Their fellowship, their conversation, their enjoyment of one another, the revelation that flows, their, their one mind, one heart, one spirit, one baptism, one voice. And that is our, that is our relationship with God. And it's not based on anything except the gospel. And the gospel is the proclamation that you are right with God. You are one with God. You are perfect. You are just like God because you're in God. There's no separation anymore. And that's the secret power of the gospel. So what am I saying about accusations, guys? What I'm trying to tell you is that the whole world is under the illusion of separation from God. We've been steeped in it. We've been raised in it. We've been raised in self-righteousness. We've been raised in earning and getting something because we worked for it and getting something as a reward and competing for it and in scarcity. Like there's not enough to go around. Like if I win, somebody else loses. Like competition, all of those things are not a part of our inheritance in Christ. And it is something that we get through righteousness. It gets, we have to let go of trying to work for God. Let go of trying to earn his favor. Let go of trying to earn his blessings and just step into a revelation of righteousness. This, this revelation, you guys, will change your life. It changed mine. When I started to understand my new identity in Christ and I started to, to, to fight the, the, the battle against other, other people's opinions, uh, when I started to fight the battle against my own opinion that had been programmed into me, guess what? I began to rise up. And I'll tell you what, when you believe that you're righteous, you act more right and more sinless by default. You just all of a sudden, when you believe that you're holy, when you believe that you no longer have a sin nature, when you believe that you're the righteousness of God, guess what? You just, you just live in abundance. You just live in holiness. You just produce the fruit of Christ. And so we have to let go. We've got to let go and we've got to speak up. We've got to speak up and we have to actually tell. <laughs> we've got to tell the accuser, no, 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 no. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. I am a child of God. I am one with Jesus. And your opinion, my opinion, guess what? None of these opinions matter. What matter is God's opinion. And God has made me a joiner with Jesus. God has made me just like Jesus. Everything that Jesus is, I am. Everything that Jesus has, I have. Everything that he has accomplished has been accomplished as me, for me. And now the only thing left to do is to simply hear and do. Hear and do. I, I enjoy fellowship with the Father. I enjoy fellowship with the Holy Spirit. I enjoy hearing the voice of God. I hear on demand. Why? Because we're one. We're one. When I say, good morning, Father. Good morning, Holy Spirit. Good morning, Jesus. Father says, good morning, beloved. Good morning, favored one. Good morning, precious royal heir. And that voice, when you have that opinion of yourself, guess what? There's no inferiority. There's no inferiority to anyone else. There's no inferiority when you're standing in the presence of God. There's no consciousness of sin. There's no consciousness of what is wrong. There's only consciousness of what is right. There's only righteousness consciousness, which is what we were talking about in Romans chapter 8. All right, self-righteousness consciousness, flesh consciousness, self apart from God consciousness will cause you to feel unworthy, will cause you to feel condemned, will cause you to feel guilty, will cause you to feel separated from God. But when you are in righteousness consciousness, in other words, spirit consciousness, you are in the spirit, you are righteous and holy by faith, by just agreeing with God and what God has accomplished. 
That's all it is. It's just trusting that what Jesus did actually was enough. <laughs> like it actually accomplished what God meant for it to accomplish. When you trust in that, wow, now you're in the spirit. Now you're flowing. And so I just want to talk, you know, about this today, you guys, as we wrap up this series, because this is a battle. It's a battle for your identity. It's a battle for what you believe about yourself. It's a battle in your head. Okay. It's a battle in your relationships. It's a battle with the way that we see other people because it's so easy to judge. It's so easy to judge ourselves based upon our performance. It's so easy to judge other people based on their performance or based on something external. But the apostle Paul said it best. We judge no man, including ourselves after the flesh. We judge everyone according to the cross. We judge everyone according to what Jesus accomplished for them as them, whether they know it or not, whether they know it or not, it's not our place to judge them as anything but reconciled and anything but redeemed. And it's not our place to judge ourselves anything but reconciled or redeemed. So as we wrap up this series, you guys, I pray that you will go into these scriptures yourself and that you will continue to study them out so that you get your own revelation of righteousness and that you start to understand it as the power of the gospel. I'm telling you, you cannot underestimate the revelation of your righteousness. It is, it is steeped in scripture. It is not just even in the new covenant. I mean, as, as the apostle Paul so brilliantly starts to, to bring these truths together when he starts to talk about Abraham and he starts to talk about David, the righteousness of God has always been revealed as something that God gives you as a gift. It has never been based on human performance. In fact, the law is the strength of sin, meaning the law simply just exasperated the problem. So people knew that they couldn't be righteous on their own. So God bless you. Hope you really enjoyed this, this, uh, this series and we'll pick it up with another powerful series uh, starting next week. God bless you. I love you. Rise up in your fullness of your union with Jesus and stand up and win the battle for righteousness. God bless you. Thanks for listening to Shalisa's podcast. This recording is, in part, made possible by our listeners. To partner with us, visit Shalise.com, where you can donate and help us spread the good news of our unshakable union with Christ around the globe. You can also find a link there to download Shalise's book, The Path, for free. And if you're ready to discover the call of God on your life and the purpose He created you for, then visit us at Shalice.com and watch Shalice's free training where you'll hear five keys to hearing God about your life purpose and transitioning into it. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, don't forget, the world needs the Christ in you.